0: There are many voices in the Catholic Church of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston that want to bring light to their journey of faith. In His Light Podcast is a new podcast from Father Reginald Samuels, the Vicar of Catholic of African Descent of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. This podcast centers on information, stories, and experiences of the Catholics of African Descent in the Archdiocese. The aim and goal of the podcast is are to foster a culture of dialogue and engage in the many diverse cultures of African descent that are present in the Catholic community. Begin with a prayer. Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, once again we come here to send our praises up to you. Please send your blessings down upon each and every one of us, allowing us to experience your love in our lives. As we come here, Lord, allow our hearts to be open to your will so that we can be a blessing to our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, Father David, let's tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, what is your mission here, and what and what are your what are your goals for your? Sure, job? sure. So let me
1: tell you a little bit about my, my personal life. You know, I've had a long journey, as you and I have talked personally. You know, before um, I came to the priesthood, very late in life. Uh, I uh, grew up in uh, near Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So quite a quite a far quite a distance from here. I was educated in Catholic schools, went to a Catholic university, and then moved back home and then uh, eventually got a job uh, as a chemist. And I did that for about 20 years, um, worked for several different companies. And then, but there was always uh, in the back of my mind, the thought that I would uh, st- you know, become a priest. I had a great uncle who was a diocesan priest uh, in the Di- Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And um, I remember my mother telling me several years before I was ordained, she said, well, you know, Father Begany, who was my great uncle, uh, when I was back, when he baptized me, he placed me on the altar. I think he said of the blessed mother. And she said, Oh, I thought you would become a priest from that day. You know, it was, it was nothing that was, I was aware of, you know, certainly not, uh, growing up, you know, the faith was very important to me, but I had no idea about being a priest, even when I was in high school. And even when I was in college, you know, it, it was sort of a little bit there, but not there. And I was focused on my career and, um, and, uh, but at, at right at the age of 22, I was having dinner with the priest. I knew, and he said something and it, it came to me that, oh, maybe you do have a calling to become a priest. And, and I, and so I, you know, uh, was kind of fighting, it. oh, okay, this is great. And oh no, I can't do that. So I went back and forth and I eventually, uh, went to work. And, um, and then after I said, after about 20 years, I, you know, I, I said, um, you know, I think it's time to pursue this. And right at that, that was right around the time when the late Holy Father, John Paul II, was in the process of dying. And he, he, as he was passing, you know, there were several other events going on at that time. You know, Terry Schiavo, who was a young woman, uh, she was in Florida, she was being, uh, you know, she had some type of neurological illness and her husband decided that, uh, you know, that to withdraw her feeding tube. And so... She was really being dehydrated to death. And at the same time, uh, Father Frank Pavone announced that he was starting a religious community dedicated to the pro-life mission. And so all of those events led me to eventually join his community. And actually I moved down here to Amarillo, Texas, uh, back in 2006 to uh, begin my my religious life. Um, After about two years, our community came to an end and so I began looking for another religious community and I rediscovered the Josephites. Uh, the, I had known about the Josephites for many years and had actually visited them, but I never formally applied to them. And um, I literally visited them probably three times, but finally after uh, my the pre- my previous community came to an end, I uh, began looking and I discovered the Josephites, um, or rediscovered them, and they were open to my, me applying to them. So. I began application to them in 2009. They accepted me uh, late that year, and then I joined them the beginning of 2010. I moved to Washington, D.C., went back to the seminary, completed my theology, and I was ordained in 2014 as a a priest for the Society of St. Joseph of the Sacred Heart,
0: which we call the Josephites. So what can you tell me more about the Josephites? Okay, the
1: Josephites have a very unique mission um, in fact, they may have been the first community uh, that I'm aware of that whose mission was strictly to take care of the, the needs of African American persons. So the Josephites are really uh, a daughter of the a religious order called the Mill Hill Fathers. The Mill Hill Fathers are still in existence, actually, I think they're called the Mill Hill Missionaries, and they were from England. So in the 1800s. Um, the founder of the Mill Hill Mission, which was, his name was Cardinal Herbert uh, Herbert Vaughn. He was asked by the Holy Father to send missionaries to the United States to take care of the spiritual needs of the freed slaves. So he, in 18, 1870, 1871, or 18, I think no, 1871, 73, a group of Mill Hill fathers came to the United States Um, They established headquarters in Baltimore, Maryland, and then they came down south and they uh, founded churches uh, and missions for the freed slaves to take care of their spiritual needs. And, you know, kind of, you know, in in the days of slavery, and this is something I wasn't aware of, that the slaves often took the religion of their masters. So, you know, as hard to believe as it is, there were Catholic masters, I mean, persons who owned slaves back then. So their slaves became Catholic, and so after the uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, then and the freedom granted to slaves, someone needed to take care of their spiritual needs. So that's how that's how we got started. Then in 18, I think it was 1893, uh, Cardinal Vaughan asked all of the missionaries to return to England, uh, but a handful decided that they wanted to continue the mission uh, to take care of the needs of the freed slaves. So he agreed to that. And he actually established a new religious community called the Society of St. Joseph of the Sacred Heart, which is our community. So the Josephites' mission, we formally became a community in 1893. And so, again, our mission has been strictly to take care of needs of African American Catholics uh, in the United States. And so we do that primarily as parish priests in predominantly black areas like like Houston.
0: Wow. And what are some of the challenges that you see or are facing right now in dealing with um, bringing um, evangelization to the African and African-American community? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think the
1: challenges we face, you know, in in uh, ministering to the black community are probably the same as, we, as many people face ministering to other communities, and that is, um, uh, you know, a lot of the young fall away from the faith or they're, Either you know, maybe they weren't catechized sufficiently, or maybe it's just this—you know—the influences of society, which are so strong, to lure people away from continuing the practice of the faith. So, probably the one of the biggest challenges is is to help the young uh, see the importance of faith in their life. You know, to help them to live it uh, integrally, integrally. You know, to make it part of their lives, um, so that it's something they can carry on then when they. As they mature as young people, to you know, to help them in their lives.
0: So, tell me a little bit about your parish. Your your sure, parish work yourself. Sure. Yeah. So, I'm the pastor now of Holy Family Catholic
1: Church in McNair, Texas, which is near, which is you know, right next to Baytown. Um, so, my parish is fairly small. We have about 250 families, um, uh, predominantly older at this point, although certainly. You know, there are young people who are involved in, in our church. Um, so our, our ministry is, uh, you know, primarily focused on, you know, I would say, you know, uh, taking care of those who get sick, visiting them in the hospital, uh, certainly preparing them when they're ready, uh, to pass, uh, but then also to do all of the other things, you know, uh, prepare the grandchildren and children for first communion, confirmation, um, uh, you know, uh, make the sacraments available to them. Um, you know, when the pandemic started, I decided to live stream our masses as, as many of us are doing. And then I added two additional masses during the week, um, you know, to meet, to help the, those at home who would not be able to get out. So, um, so our mission, uh, you know, um, continues to be primarily pastoral. Now, one of the things I learned in becoming a pastor which I wasn't aware of, which I'm sure you're aware of is the, uh, the level of work required to administer a parish. And that's, I was not prepared for that. And, it, you know, it's not simply, you know, signing checks and having someone mail them. It's, it's all of the other things. You know, a friend of mine described it as, well, he said, you're, it's like running a small company. You know, I have to make sure the buildings are maintained. If, if they're not, then I have to call in someone to do the work, uh, you know, I have to find the money. I have to figure out how to spend the money so we have enough. You know, and, and of course, that's always a challenge. You know, uh, resources, and um, so that that that's that's been a challenge. You know, and and um, but uh, you know, by the grace of God, I think it's going pretty well. I have some some good folks. One man in particular who does a lot for me, uh, uh, Mr. John Lamell. He John cuts my our grass every week, you know, and, and during the growing season and several other men help them out. I have another gentleman who helps me with landscaping. So I'm fortunate to have those. Otherwise, you know, the, the, I, I, the cost would really, the, you know, the would really be a drag on, on our parish finances. But, um, you know, I'm trying to, uh, keep things going. Probably my goal is, is ideally is to really, you know, to grow the parish, you know, um, welcome more folks in, uh, especially I want the youth to, you know, to really learn their faith well, uh, to know how to live it, you know, um, so that can help them in their lives. Because there are certainly a lot of challenges that youth are going to face or are facing and will face in the future.
0: Um, Tell me, is this your first assignment as a pastor in an African-American parish? Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah, so just to clarify, the Josephites' mission is strictly to work in the black community. So I was ordained, like I said, uh, about seven years ago. So my first assignment was in New Orleans where I was a parochial vicar, which is uh, an assistant pastor. And I was there for five years. And then I was asked to come to Holy Family here in Baytown as administrator of the parish. And then after about a year, I became the pastor. So this, yes, it it is the first time I'm being pastor.
0: And what were the challenges there for the Josephites in New Orleans? And are they much different than the, the challenges here in Houston? About the same? or yeah,
1: Well, um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I would say one thing that's different between the two places is just the, the level of, of the sacramental life. By that I mean in New Orleans. You know, New Orleans is such a heavily Catholic city, you know. It was uh, originally a, a, a French, uh, I guess you could call it a colony if you want to call it that, or a French possession. And the French, of course, predominantly Catholic, and so it has a heavy Catholic influence. So I ended up celebrating mass everywhere. You know, there are so many religious orders, houses of worship that we were frequently called upon. And then um, one of the things I did there that I'm not doing here is. I would regularly celebrate mass at a a catholic retirement home and then we began celebrating mass uh, at a uh, like a public nursing home so you know that was one big thing and then in that particular parish which was corpus christi epiphany um we were we would regularly celebrate you know several funerals every week and so i got in the habit of celebrating funerals and i I, when I was there, I probably celebrated 250 funerals by myself, which is, you know, unheard of, really, for a priest. Um, and the mission there, uh, you know, it is there It was probably, you know, more focused on on the sacramental life and visiting the sick. Now, and down here, of course, it's on pastor, the, the more the focus is on the administration, you know, the, uh, you know, making sure we have the funds, you know making sure we pay our bills on time, making sure I, I spend the money properly, you know, so we can uh, pay our bills, making sure, especially in the time of pandemic that, you know, um, that I mean, they stay connected, I stay connected with the people through media, through, you know, phone calls, things like that.
0: And how big is the Josephite community here in Houston?
1: Well, it's fairly big here in Houston. It's, it's almost as big as it is in New Orleans. So... The Josephite mission is, uh, is really based strictly in the United States. And so we can, we can serve in any state in the United States. So uh, Texas, we have, we have, our parishes, I think right now are predominantly in Houston. So we have, we have let's see, I think there are four other priests. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, we have four other priests who are pastors of churches in Houston. I'm a pastor in Baytown, which is just outside of Houston. So we probably have the most uh, staff, the most churches in Houston, even more than New Orleans. And, you know, th- those parishes are a little more inner city. You know, my parish is a little bit more suburban. And, um, you know, so our goal is the same, to, you know, help uh, our black people, um, you know, continue to maintain the faith, to grow in their faith, to help them in any way, especially you know, uh, with the spiritual life, with their life of faith, to be there, you know, for, for various family events, you know, baptisms, uh, confirmation, holy communion, uh, when they pass, you know, to really be a, a, you know, a source of guidance for them, a source of strength, and hopefully, you know, good example.
0: Well, how can the archdiocese assist you in your mission in your ministry? How can we assist the Josephites in their ministry yeah, here? Yeah. That's good. I,
1: well, I think it's it's to kind of continue what the Archdiocese has been doing. So, you have um, you know, an office of Black Catholic Ministries which you're the head of and um, I would think if if there's any way that, you know, that office could continue to grow and develop and to, you know, just to identify the needs of the African American person. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I hate to say it this way, but, you know, unfortunately, the African-American community sometimes gets let behind. And often, I'm guessing it's not intentional. It's just maybe because we don't, maybe we don't speak up as much as we need to. And by that, I mean, you know, there are other communities uh, of folks that we hear about in the news, right, the Hispanic community. And certainly there is, uh, you know, certainly an influx, emigration of Hispanic-speaking people to, the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, and we're very aware of their needs because of stories in the media. But we hear less so about the black community. And so certainly the Archdiocese can, I think has to make an intentional effort like you are, you know, to meet their needs, to really find out what their needs are. You know, I I would think, you know, some of the big things are, um, you know, just to, you know, to promote evangelization in, in the black community, especially among the young Um, to promote education, you know, to have uh, Catholic schools available for our students and really to, you know, promote them in in the black community, certainly to have some type of financial assistance available to them. Uh, You know, to regularly have maybe meetings of predominantly black Catholic persons, you know, to help them to see that they're not alone, that other, other other black Catholics, you know, share their faith. Uh, And to really have events like that, almost to put it on the the same level, again, not to compare it to our Hispanic brothers and sisters, but to put it on that same level of awareness, you know, cultural awareness, awareness, you know, uh, on the hearts and minds of, you know, the archbishop, uh, the auxiliary bishop, and to almost have it on that level. Because as I said, I think for whatever reason, our folks, you know, tend to hold back, you know, at least within the church, and, and, and asking for what they need. And and so I'm grateful for the work you do. I'm grateful, you know, and I hope that continues to expand and, you know, that you receive additional resources to really, you know, to really almost kind of, we really have to, you know, go out to our folks and, and, and um, uh, you know, maybe further identify what they need. But there certainly is a great respect for the faith, a great living of the faith, among the black Catholic community in the archdiocese.
0: Um, what are some of the challenges that the, um, the religious community of the Josephites are facing? Um, well,
1: that's a very good question. The biggest, the biggest challenge we're facing right now, well, it's twofold. I would say the biggest challenge is vocations. So you know, many religious communities in the United States are having trouble attracting men uh, and, and, you know, and women to uh, religious life. So religious life is different than being a diocesan priest. Religious life is focused on a particular mission. We call that mission a charism. Charism is, I think, from the Greek word meaning gift, you know, gift from God. So the particular gift from God that the Josephites have is to minister to the African American community. Whereas if you're a diocesan priest, you know, you you, you minister really to everyone. Um, so the biggest challenge we face as Josephites is attracting men to our community. Now, thankfully, uh, about 20 years ago, we began an outreach effort in Nigeria uh, to recruit Nigerian men uh, to become Josephite priests. In other words, we uh, have a house over there, of formation, uh, where they spend several years you know, studying about the Josephites, uh, our spirituality, our, our way of life, our history, and then they study philosophy, and then when they're once they're complete, then they come to the United States, and then they here they begin their uh, uh, theology education, and then eventually they get ordained and they serve uh, as priests. So most of our priests, current new, newly ordained priests, are Nigerian. So the, the question is, why are there no longer you know American guys? Why aren't American guys you know? deciding to become Josephite priests and, that, and that's a good question you know my own thought you know and uh, I've raised this with the Josephites is that the typical younger American man may not feel that there is a need for a religious community to work strictly in the, in the african-american community they might think that well we really live in a a um, uh, you know, a, a, a post-racial society. Now, some Josephites would say that, you know, that's not true. And you're right, that's that's probably not totally true. But I think for the young, they look at it as, I think they have a greater sense of the equality of black persons, other ethnic groups to themselves, the willingness to want to treat them fairly and the same. So for them, they may not, you know, see the, the same need that priests did 50, 60 years ago when there was you know, segregation and much more hostile discrimination against black persons. So I think the, this is my guess, is that the younger person can't, can't really see the need for a uh, working in a community dedicated to the black community because, you know, since we're all equal, why is there a need to focus on the black community? Well, you know, the answer is, is that, you know, I, I, I think the young, I mean, the young are obviously right in thinking that. You know, we should treat everyone equally. Yes, amen. Um, But certainly there are still our needs in the black community. You know, one of the areas uh, that I've seen, and I think it's kind of common to every community, is just the need for a greater emphasis on the necessity of family life. You know, I've come across a number of, uh, uh, you know, young men, young women who, who think it's not necessary to... Get married when they have children, and you know who have children at a wedlock. Again, this is you know this is something that cuts across our entire society. But I think it's 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 crucial for all children, you know, certainly to have a father and a mother, ideally within, you know, a, a married uh, within a within a um, a family a, a, where the mom and dad are married, and so. I think that's cru- more crucial, probably, to the black community because, as you and I know, without you know our parental influence, you know, it's easy to be lured away by someone who you know, uh, you know, might seem to be a father or mother figure, but has other other intentions. So I think it's important to uh, you know one of the things is really to you know to emphasize the necessity of family life. I mean, the black community has great family life don't get me wrong, but the idea of, um, you know, husband and wife and children uh, forming a family together. And so I oftentimes, when I meet like mothers who are single mothers, I ask them, you know, is the baby's father involved with the life, with the child's life, the young person's life? And if they say no, I said, really, you know, you really need to get the father involved because the children need their dads, you know, and certainly vice versa. But so you know that that's uh, that's a challenge, and and um, certainly one thing you know um, I'm trying to promote.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. Well, thank you, Father David. Thank you for your time for for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure, Father Reginald. Yeah, good to be with you. Thanks for asking me. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed and are associated with or targeted towards the content of this podcast without express approval and knowledge of its In His Light podcast is forbidden. You may not edit, modify or redistribute this podcast. In His Light podcast assumes no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer or playing device or opinions expressed during the Insight series podcast are solely those of the individuals involved do not necessarily represent those of the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston and its employees. The Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston is not responsible but does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. The primary purpose of this series is to educate and inform